Amen. Praise the Lord for the good singing this morning. Take your Bibles, please, over to 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. I wasn't even sure I was going to be able to be at church today. When I started getting sick on Friday, I thought, man, right here on the weekend. And um, I appreciate the Lord touching me. I woke up this morning and felt like a completely different person than I did yesterday. Yesterday, uh, rough. Whatever's going around, it's for real. I don't know what it is. I don't think they have a name for it. But um, I felt like I'd been pulled through a knot hole. I'm telling you. I woke up this morning and I had strength to be in church. And I praise the Lord for that. Amen. I hate missing church. I hate missing church more than I hate missing a meal. Amen. Or missing a ball game. Amen. I love church. And um, I, I got in the office this morning and God began to just load my wagon with these verses. I don't know if I'll be able to finish this message or not. I'm not going to rush through it to try. Uh, when it gets quitting time, if we're not finished, we'll just unhook and come back tonight. How's that? It's, see, it's an awesome thing about church. We have church all day with a little break in between. And uh, let you go home and get some lunch and take a little nap and come back. So if I don't get finished this morning, it's okay. Jesus don't come this afternoon. We can finish it tonight. So um, not get in a hurry. But I want you to stand with me, please. Second Corinthians 11. Boy, I'm really glad I'm not watching on live stream right now. I'm glad I'm here. Verse number one, Paul said, Would to God you could bear with me of little in my folly, and indeed bear with me. For I'm jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom ye have not, whom we've not preached, or if he receive another spirit which ye have not received, or another gospel which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. I'm going to stop right there. Eventually, we're going to get to that phrase in verse 3. That's what I want to focus on. It'll take us a little while to get there. But I want to preach a little bit on this thought, the simplicity that is in Christ. Father, I pray that you would help me this morning as I seek to follow your leadership. I pray, Lord, for wisdom. I pray, Lord, for strength. I pray, dear God, for God's people this morning to have liberty to listen I pray there'd be no distractions. Lord, devil's a master distractor. I pray, Lord, that you would allow us to be able to feast on the table of the Word of God this morning and just have your will away in the service is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for standing. You can be seated. 
The thought that's on my heart is the statement in verse 3, and we'll take a few minutes to get there, about the simplicity that is in Christ. One thing I'm sure of, after preaching for 30 years, Satan has succeeded in making the Christian life so complicated to some people that they just simply throw their hands up and say, what's the use? Now, we're going to look at the simplicity that's in Christ. I'm not saying Christ is simple. And we've been doing several semesters in our Bible college already. We had the doctrine of Christ we're going through now in our semester now. Last, last semester, it was the life of Christ. As we're studying the doctrine of Christ, I can tell you that there's a lot of complex doctrines associated with Jesus Christ. Starting with, um, starting with the, the, his birth. I, I, I don't believe we could say that the virgin birth is a simple doctrine. You can't explain it. Holy Spirit of God overshadowed Mary. That holy thing that was conceived within her was of the Holy Ghost. That's mind-boggling to me. We've been studying the virgin birth. We've been studying the incarnation of Christ. The Word was made flesh. John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. But then the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. Trying to understand the incarnation of Christ. It's not a simple thing. Trying to understand the God man. Trying to explain it. Trying to teach it. Makes you feel really feeble and foolish. How that Jesus could be 100% man and 100% God. I can't explain it. I, I, I just read the verses and we, we, we dissect the verses and then we by faith accept it and, and we go on. The fact that Jesus lived a sinless life, the fact that he allowed himself to be tempted of the devil, led to the wilderness and tempted of the devil, but he could not sin. I didn't say he did not sin. He could not sin. You say, explain that to me. I can't. There's too much in there. The doctrine of Christ is not a simple, easy to understand doctrine. But the Christian life, the simplicity that is in Christ, I'm afraid has been overcomplicated. And a lot of people miss the simplicity that is in Christ. I don't know if that did anything or not to set it up. God never intended the Christian life to be perceived as complicated. In fact, he desired the opposite. But before we get into that, before we get into that thought, I want to notice a few things in our text that was on Paul's heart and his mind as he wrote this chapter. The whole chapter pretty much is Paul defending his apostleship and reminding the church of Corinth that he was God's man. 
You could outline the first three verses like this. Verse one, you see Paul's folly. Would to God you could bear with me a little in my folly and indeed bear with me. Trying to get the mind of Paul in this passage, understand why he starts the chapter out with this, with this verse and with these words. No doubt the Apostle Paul felt very foolish having to state the obvious. He was God's man. That's what this whole chapter is about. Paul says, I'm God's man. I'm an apostle. God called me. God placed me in the ministry. God put me in Corinth. God put me in your life. God allowed me to impact you, influence you, win you to Christ. There's now people disputing that and I feel like an, a fool. Please bear with me. I beg you, bear with me in my folly while I state the obvious. I'm God's man. He said it twice in verse number one, bear with me. I'm little in my folly. And then he proceeds to spend the entire chapter, 33 verses, giving Exhibit A, exhibit B, exhibit C, proof after proof, evidence after evidence of his apostleship. And that's why he says, I feel a little foolish stating the obvious, but apparently there's a need for me to do this. We see his folly in verse number one. We see Paul's focus in verse number two. For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Paul's focus in verse number two was based on the fact that he was the instrument and the tool by which God used to lead them to Christ. He was the soul winner, the missionary, the preacher. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word. How shall they hear without a preacher? Well, Paul was that preacher. They were saved because of the apostle Paul. They heard the gospel through the preaching of the apostle Paul. They were espoused to Christ because of the apostle Paul. Paul said, I have espoused you to one husband. I'm the one that introduced you to Jesus Christ. You are saved because of my ministry and he said, I feel foolish. Bear with me having to remind you of this. But he says, I'm jealous with a godly jealousy. There is a part of me, the apostle Paul says, that is extremely protective of you and your relationship with the Lord because I'm the one that led you to the Lord. And he says, my focus and my desire and my heart desire is that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. What a statement. I, in fact, I believe I could easily preach for about an hour on that one statement. Paul said that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Spend about an hour, Dr. Bittner, just looking at how many verses in the Bible talks about the spiritual adultery and the whoredoms that a child of God can commit. Huh? Paul said, I want, I want to protect you. And I want to present you. 
when Jesus comes back, when Jesus comes back and Paul believed he was coming back in his lifetime, this is what he said, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Paul said, some, some are already asleep, but we which are alive and remain, Paul expected Jesus to come back in his lifetime. And Paul's, what he's saying is, my focus and my desire is that when Jesus comes back in the rapture to catch up the church, that he might present you, I might present you to him a chaste virgin, untainted, unspotted, undefiled, that's my, that's my focus. And I, I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy. Amen. Matt and a day is getting married in how many days? 20, 19, 18. I knew it was close. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say any of you young men that are not married, and you see Sister Adaya sitting up here and you say, man, that's a beautiful young woman. I'm going to go talk to her after church. I wouldn't do that if I were you. <laughs> Probably it's not going to work out for you. Ask her for her number. Brother Matt might have something said about that. Huh? You know what he's going to say? Hey, she's taken. Go fish in another pond, loser. You know what Apostle Paul said about the people he led to Christ? I'm jealous of you with a godly jealousy. Amen. I'm trying to keep you, I'm trying to present you to Christ as a chaste virgin. That's my focus. That's my desire. I don't want you to get caught up in the things of the world. James said it like this, you adulterers and adulteresses know you not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Adultery. Spiritual adultery. We see his focus. But then we see Paul's fear in verse number three. But I fear. This is the man that said, God hath not given us a spirit of fear. But of power, of love, and of a sound mind. This is the man of God that we look at as being bold. This is the man we, of God that we look at as an example and a pattern of the spirit-filled life, a man that walked with God, a man that knew God, and yet the apostle Paul said, in my heart of hearts, I am trembling and I'm fearful for you. Lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity in Christ. We get a glimpse of the heart of the Apostle Paul and his concern and his passion for the church. You can't get any more of an insight into a man's love and passion for the body of Christ than the Apostle Paul's words in these first few verses. The word fear in verse number three means to be afraid, to be struck with fear, to be seized with alarm. It means to be startled by strange sights or occurrences or struck with amazement. That's the word that he used in verse number three. He says, I am fearful. I have a lot of anxiety. I've got a lot of amazement. I've got a lot of alarm in my heart about you, for you. Let me just throw this out. There have been people before that said to me, preacher, won't you just mind your own business? 
the spiritual state of the church is the business of the man of God. I'm going to go a step further. The spiritual state of the church is everybody in the church's business. God help us if only the pastor's concerned about the spiritual welfare of the church. God forbid the pastor, the man of God's the only one that's got a little bit of jealousy over the church. God forbid if the pastor, the man of God's the only one that wants to present the church to Christ as a chaste virgin. We all ought to strive for that. We all ought to want that. We all ought to be concerned about the same things. Paul was greatly concerned in verse number three. He was concerned at the effectiveness of Satan to hinder the people of God. He was aware of Satan's tactics. He says in verse number three, I fear less by any means. And let me tell you something this morning. The devil will use any means. He will use whatever means he can to stop what God's trying to do. If he can thwart your spiritual growth, if he can diminish your spiritual effectiveness by any means necessary, that's what he will use. And make no mistake, the devil loves to complicate the Christian life by any means necessary. Satan successfully corrupts the simplicity that is in Christ by a variety of means. He gives us three of them right here. Number one, he uses false information. The devil does. The devil's a liar. If you didn't know that, wake up and smell the coffee. The devil is a liar. He cannot tell the truth. He couldn't tell the truth if you paid him to. He's a father of lies. So the Bible says he's a liar. Jesus said he's a liar and the father of it. He uses false information. And we see that in verse number three. Paul said, I fear. I lay in the bed at night and my heart is filled with concern and anxiety and fear because I know the effectiveness of Satan's tactics. And one of them is he will lie to you. Lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety. He uses false information. Bad doctrine. Doctrine matters. Sound doctrine matters. And one of the signs of the last days is that there will be people that are supposed to be Christians, supposed to be believers, supposed to be children of God. They will get to the place where they will no longer be able to endure sound doctrine. And they will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And the Bible says that they will turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Why does the devil still use fables? Because they still work. Paul said, I'm concerned. I'm fearful. I'm like a mama hen trying to keep all these little baby chicks from going out and getting eat up by the wolves. But I'm telling you right now, the devil worked with Eve. He beguiled Eve through his subtlety and I'm fearful that he's gonna do it with you. False information, false doctrine. Where God clearly says this and the devil comes along and says, yea, hath God said. 
Just like he did Eve, where Eve said, uh, yeah, we're not supposed to eat of the tree. And, then, and if we do, we're going to die. And then the, the serpent said, you shall not surely die. You're not. It's amazing that the devil's tactic is he sells God's word as the false information. Here's how the devil lied to Eve. He convinced her that God had lied to her. Watch out for these fact checkers. The devil was the first fact checker. Oh, is that what you heard? Um, wrong answer. You shall not surely die. God knows that if you eat of the tree, your eyes will be open. You should be as God's knowing good and evil and, and, and he don't want you to be like him. So that's why he told you all that. It's a bunch of baloney. And he's so subtle and it's so believable. False doctrine's always believable. The devil knows how to wrap a lie in something that's very appealing to the flesh. It looks good and it sounds good. She saw that fruit, that forbidden fruit, that fruit that, had, that came with a death sentence. She looked at that fruit and she saw that it was good. She saw that it was pleasant to the eyes. Fruit to be desired to make one wise and the devil just tipped the scales just enough with false information that it worked. Paul said the same devil that tempted and beguiled Eve in the Garden of, Garden of Eden way back in Genesis is the same devil that's trying his best to mess you up and trip you up. He uses false information. He uses filthy ideas. He says in verse number three, I think my notes may be wrong, it's verse three, it says for that, that Lest by any means as a servant beguiled Eve through his subtlety, there's the false information. So your minds should be corrupted. Corrupted. Corrupt ideas. Filthy, unclean, ungodly, unbiblical ideas. Thought patterns. Ways of thinking that is, that is corrupting your mind. Well, the Bible has a lot to say about our mind. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, Philippians 2 said. Romans 12, be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. Which may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And when you get saved, the devil will do everything he can to corrupt your mind. And he will set up strongholds in your mind. And he will state things about God and the Bible and truth that's not true and affect the way you think. It will affect your reasoning, your ability to reason. The Apostle Paul said, Lord, pray, deliver us. Pray that God would deliver us from wicked and unreasonable men. They're not able to reason. Ephesians 4 talks about having their understanding darkened. The devil knows how to corrupt your mind. You know how many people get out of church because he corrupted their mind. He affected their mind. 
He put thoughts in their mind about the pastor, about the church, about the agenda of the church, the, the mission of the church, the members of the church, the message of the church, the mandate of the church. And then as they begin to drift away from God and the will of God and the house of God, then he begins to stack up all this false information to further corrupt their mind and where they justify getting out of the will of God. Now, they're more adamant that they're right with God out of God's will than they ever was when they was in God's will. Is this making any sense? The devil is a liar. He's a deceiver. I know good people that have got out of church because they let the devil corrupt their minds. Listen to the devil instead of the word of God. They listen to the devil instead of God. There's something seriously wrong with a person that will allow the devil to just completely take over their thoughts and it's completely contrary to scripture. That's why I said, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Our mind needs to line up with Christ's mind. I have therefore the mind of Christ. Amen. I'm not throwing a lot at you this morning. Going down through these verses, he uses false information. He uses filthy ideas that your mind should be corrupted from. And I love that word from there, corrupted from. That your mind should be corrupted from. The corruption is always with an agenda to pull you away from. Always. The devil... The devil is all about driving wedges between you and God. You and the will of God. You and the word of God. You and the house of God. He wants to corrupt you from. What he wants to do. We see he uses false information. He uses filthy ideas. He uses fake imposters. The devil is a master counterfeiter. My goodness, my goodness. At the counterfeits we find in this chapter, look at verse four. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus. Another Jesus. Well, how many Jesuses are there? Well, there's only one true Jesus. But there are many antichrists. False Christs, false Jesuses. Let me just give you an example of one. It's on top of my head here. That he gets us, Jesus. The television commercials that keep popping up during the ball games, he gets us, he gets us, he gets us, he gets us. That is a false Christ. You say, preacher, why do you say that? Well, I've done some research. I'm going to get into all that. But I can tell you right now what it did to my scalp. Yes. Yes. What it did to the hair on the back of my neck when I saw it the first time is all I needed to know. Because if it's of God, it don't make my skin crawl. When it's of God, it don't make me feel like somebody just kicked me in my stomach. When it's of God, it does not make my blood pressure blow out the top. Let me tell you something. This Jesus that the world is presenting as a social worker a community organizer, a social justice warrior. That's not the Jesus Christ of the Bible. That's not the Jesus Christ that we read about in the scriptures. That is a fabrication of hell. It's another Jesus. Mark it down. 
another Jesus. He didn't come to get us. He gets us. No, he came so that we would get him. Jesus said, he that hath the son hath life and he that hath not the son hath not life. He came that we might get him. I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. He didn't come to wash the feet of the reprobates and the sinners. He came to wash their sins away, not their feet. The greatest love, the greatest love that Jesus had for the sinner was proven when he died on the cross. No greater love hath no man than this, that a man laid down his life for his friend. Jesus loved the sinner when he died on the cross and shed his blood to save them from their sins. He didn't come to wash their feet and affirm and approve and accept them in their sinful condition. As a matter of fact, the only feet washing we find in the Bible outside of the upper room where Jesus washed the feet of his disciples where was with the wicked woman, the ungodly woman. Washed his feet with her hair, with her tears. She washed his feet. He didn't wash hers. He had something far greater to offer her than washing dust off of her feet. And that was to wash the sins away. That was damning her soul to hell. But there's another gospel. There's another Jesus out there. He goes on to say, is everybody okay? Another Jesus. Another Jesus. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not received, or if ye receive another spirit. There's another spirit out there. So it sounds good. looks good. I mean, that commercial preacher, that was a blessing. These people, these people's looking at the Lord. You better be careful, real careful. Very careful putting your stamp of approval on another Jesus and another spirit. If, 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 if the spirit, if there is no other spirit, Paul's, Paul's saying that there is. He's warning them about another spirit. Then why would John in 1 John 4, why would he say, receive not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they be of God. Because the spirit of Antichrist has gone out into the world and it's already here. Stay with me now. I don't, I don't, I don't, want, I don't want to offend nobody. So I'm not trying to offend you. I'm just preaching the Bible this morning. But this crowd you see on television rolling around on the floor and barking like dogs. And speaking in unknown unknown tongues, and in these 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 TV evangelists that's hurling the Holy Spirit like a baseball, and people are falling over in droves. That is another spirit. Yes, sir. That's another spirit. You better be careful. You better be careful tolerating and accepting and affirming another spirit. He goes on and says, there's another Jesus, there's another spirit. We're talking about fake impostors. There's another gospel. In verse number four, for he that cometh preacheth another God, Jesus, whom ye have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit, which ye have not received, or another gospel, which ye have not accepted. There are other gospels out there. Hold your place right there. Some of you are looking at me funny. I knew you was going to say that. 
Go to Galatians 1 right quick. Right. Let me show you something. Show you something. Show you something right here. Apostle Paul, I believe, was a, I believe he was a good man, a godly man. I believe the Apostle Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit of God. The Bible tells us that in multiple places. I don't think that's even up for debate. In fact, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter number 2 says, When I came unto you, I came not with excellency of speech, with man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the power of God. That your faith would stand not in man's wisdom, but in the power of God. Did he not say that? He said in one place in 2 Corinthians, he said, I'm willing to deal with this thorn in my flesh. I'm I'm willing to to just accept it by faith that it's God's plan for my life. If that's what God wants to do is put this thorn in my flesh that the messenger of Satan was sent to buffet me. I've asked God three times to take this thorn away, but he's chosen not to, that my grace, he said, would be sufficient for you. And he said, I will most gladly rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Apostle Paul was a godly Spirit-filled man. He said, preacher, what what are you trying to say? I'm I'm, I'm saying something that needs to be said before we read what Paul said in Galatians 1. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. Galatians chapter number 1, verse number 6. I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Which is not another But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. The apostle Paul, a godly man that loved people so much he laid up at night concerned about their spiritual walk with God wrote letters from prison to try to strengthen them. And under the inspiration of the scripture, here's what he said. I don't care if an angel comes down from heaven, if he preaches a different gospel than I preach to you, let him be damned to hell. And if saying it once wasn't enough, he said it again. As we said before, so say I now again, verse nine. If any man preach any other gospel unto you, then that Ye have received, let him be accursed. Anathema maranatha. Let him be damned to hell. What he says. Now that's pretty strong. Paul said, I don't care if an angel comes down out of heaven. Stay with me now. We're still in our text. Go back to 2 Corinthians. We're still in our text. Paul said, I don't care if an angel comes down out of heaven. Verse number four says that there is another Jesus, another gospel, another spirit. Look at verse 13. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Preacher, what do you mean if an angel comes down from heaven and preaches? You mean if an angel comes down out of heaven and preaches a message to me? I can't believe it. No, not if it's different from what the Bible says because the devil has the power to transform himself into an angel. Right, yeah, amen. Yes, sir. What Paul said. 
It's no marvel. He said, it's no marvel. Satan can transform himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers, his ministers. Some of y'all ready for this? The devil calls some people to preach. Oh, they're ministers, but they're his. They're his. Is everybody still with me? They're his ministers. God didn't call them, the devil did. They belong to him. He signed them up, he recruited them, and he gave them the message. Pastor, I was in the bookstore, it was a Christian bookstore, and I was, there's a book by a guy, it's a pastor. Yeah, you better be careful. Better be real careful. Apostle Paul laid awake at night, fearful about the lies of Satan to corrupt the minds from simplicity that is in Christ. My goodness. Verse 15, therefore it's no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness whose end shall be according to their works. So in this chapter, you've got a lot of imposters. You've got false Jesus, a false gospel, a fake, fake spirit, fake, fake apostles, false apostles, verse 13. Deceitful workers. Somebody asked me this morning, I said, Preacher, do you believe these people know that what they're preaching is a lie? I said, I believe there's degrees of deception. Yes, sir. There are degrees of deception. Right. Paul said it to Timothy like this. He said they're going to wax, in the last days they're going to wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Because this is what happens. They surround themselves with people that are saying the same thing they are. And it reinforces the lies. Reinforces the deception. I hadn't even gotten to my message yet, Brother Bale. The Apostle Paul has already just kind of loaded our wagon this morning. The devil ain't playing. And his goal is to corrupt the minds of the people of God from the simplicity that is in Christ. See, the Christian life is not that complicated Unless you believe lies. And then it gets real muddy real quick. It's 10 after 12. I don't have time to preach all my message. Let me just give you one point. All right, I'm going to give you one point and we'll unhook. The simplicity that is in Christ. I'm trying to make this as simple as I can. Christian life's not complicated, it is not complicated. The devil wants to make blurry what God has made clear. Amen. He wants to make muddy what God has made crystal clear. The simplicity that is in Christ. And it starts, here's where it starts. Number one, it starts with an approach of faith in Christ Jesus. That's where it starts. You have to approach Jesus Christ in faith. That's where it starts. You say, well, well that's, that's pretty simple. That's what, the point I'm trying to make. The key factor that separates Christians from non-Christians is the fact that we are believers and they are non-believers. Right. 
We believe they do not. It's a difference. We approach God with an attitude of faith rather than an attitude of skepticism or criticism. Jesus said it like this in Luke 18, 16. Jesus called them unto him and said, Suffer little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. I have literally had people look me in my face when they asked me about my testimony. I said, I got saved in 1976 as a four-year-old boy. They look at me and they say, four-year-olds can't get saved. I said, well, I don't know how to explain that. I got saved when I was four. And Jesus said, suffer little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. And he went on to say, verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. So if I understand my Bible correctly, Jesus said, you gotta, you gotta become like a child, have the faith of a child, that simple-minded, just unquestionable belief and faith like a child, that's the only way you can get saved. That's the only way you can get saved. You can't get saved coming to God, questioning and doubting and challenging everything he said. You got Nicodemus in, in John chapter three that was a ruler of the Jews, highly educated, Pharisee, comes to Jesus. Rabbi, we know thou art a teacher come from God for no man can do the works so without doing except God be with him. Jesus looked straight in his God-given eyeballs said, except me man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. Nicodemus said, how can a man when he's old enter into his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus said you must be born of water and of the spirit. That which is flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. Quit trying to rationalize it and figure it out and just accept it by faith. Because that's the only way you can get saved. See, the devil can complicate in the mind of a person the simplicity in Christ because faith is just way too easy. I don't know how many people I've witnessed to give them a plan of salvation and look at me and say, there's got to be more to it than that. There's got to be more to it than that. Hell is going to be filled with people that heard a clear presentation of the gospel, but they tripped over their brain and went straight to hell. Refused to accept with simple childlike faith the simplicity of the gospel. You can't get any more basic than Hebrews eleven six, but without faith, it is impossible to please God. He didn't say it's hard. He didn't say it's difficult. He didn't say it was going to be challenging. He said without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. That he is what? That he is everything he said he was. must believe that he is. I believe that's exactly what God was trying to tell Moses at the burning bush. Tell him I am that I am sent you. I am. Tell him that I am. You must believe that he is. That he is what? That he is the I am. And that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You can't get saved without faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. Ephesians 2.8. 
For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That's where it starts, and that's where it stays. We get saved by faith, and we please God throughout our Christian life the same way we got saved, by faith. We must simply believe God. We got to believe God. There probably ain't one of us in here that can make a hundred, a hundred on some of these spelling bees that they have on TV for these kids that are so smart and they're spelling words I ain't never heard before. You know what I'm talking about? There ain't one of us in here that can make a hundred on that, but we're smart enough to question everything God says. We can't get from here to the shopping center without a GPS. And we're going to tell God he's wrong half the time. We believe his word. We're talking about faith. We believe his word over everybody else's. Either you believe God or you don't. And Paul said, let God be true and every man a liar. Here's what separates believers from unbelievers. We believe God's word. We believe it's inspired, infallible, and inerrant. And it's eternal. And that the heavens and earth will pass away, but his word will not pass away. We believe his word over everybody else's. We believe his way is better than everybody else's way. We believe his will is better than our own will. Lord, have mercy. That's, that right there is the major kink in the cog for most Christians in their Christian life is they struggle with their will versus God's will. Right. It boils down to faith. We believe he has authority over us. Right. Paul said, you're not your own. You're not your own. You're bought with the price. What? He says, What? Know ye not that you're the temple of the Holy Ghost? What? You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body, which are God's, and your spirit, which are God's. Say it's faith that he has authority over us. I'm trying to land this plane, trust me. I'm trying to land it. I didn't even think I'd be here this morning. I'm just glad to be here, praise God. <laughs> We believe he has authority over us. We believe in our complete incapability to function apart from him. Jesus said like this in John 15, 5, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. You know where the simplicity in Christ, the devil's trying to corrupt our minds from? It starts, baseline, it starts I just preached this three or four weeks ago out of Acts 17 where Paul said, I believe God. Remember that? I believe God. That's the Christian life in a nutshell. But that's where it starts. You can't get saved till you believe God. You can't get saved until you believe God by faith except what Jesus said about salvation. That's where it all starts. An approach 
of faith. Let me close with this. We choose to put our faith and trust in one that's greater than us. We choose to put our faith in one more powerful than us. We choose to put our faith in one that knows more than us. We choose to believe one that is stronger than us. We approach this whole subject of God, Jesus, and the Bible with an approach of faith. It's not complicated in and of itself. It only becomes complicated when we allow Satan to insert doubt. I could have a box up here, bring one of the kids in from junior church. There's a box full of candy right there. A box full of candy, it's all yours. They can start to open that box. Well, they're excited about that candy. And somebody, one of these men on the platform could say, watch out, there's a snake in that box. And watch them stop unwrapping it. Watch that excitement. Turn to fear and anxiety. Huh? Why? Because somebody made a statement that inserted doubt. And it changes everything. They would hesitate. Probably walk away from that box, never open that box. His faith in the reward was replaced with doubt and fear. And that is exactly what the devil does. God says this, 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 and this. We go, wow, wow. And the devil says, yeah, but, yay. Ask, God said. And all of a sudden, what was so simple has now become so complicated. And the bottom line is, we doubt God. We don't believe God. There's more to this message, but I'm out of time. Lord, this morning, we thank you for the opportunity to preach. We thank you, Lord, for the scriptures and for helping us as we opened up the scriptures. I pray, Lord, this morning that you would do what only you can do in hearts and lives. There, Lord, there are Christians here this morning struggling in their Christian life because they just, they can't trust you. There's somebody here this morning that's never been saved. They've never been born again. They've never put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I pray today they would. I pray today's the day that they accept Jesus Christ and his death on the cross is the only way to heaven. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Have your will and way in this invitation, I pray. With heads bowed, eyes closed, altars packed all across the front, folks are down here praying. There may be somebody here this morning say, Pastor Shifflin, I'm not 100% sure I'm saved. You talked about being born again out of John 3. I'm not sure I've been born again. I, I just don't have that 100% peace and confidence that I've been saved and I would like for you to pray for me. Right where you're at, would you just quietly slip your hand up where I can see it? I see that hand, you can put it down. Anybody else? Preacher, pray for me, I'm not sure. Preacher, I'm not sure, pray for me. Anybody, anywhere? We would love to help you this morning. We would be honored this morning to take a Bible and help you. There's nothing, nothing that would please us anymore, nothing that would please the Lord anymore this morning than for you to get that settled. Your eternal destiny. You're going to spend eternity either in heaven with the Lord or in the lake of fire away from God. That's what the Bible says. 
the Christian life, 